Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast that provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Harlan Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome to today's show, Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. It is so great for you to be with us today. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject, compliance. You must comply. But you know, it is a necessary evil. It's it's a it's one of those things that if you want things done right, you have to know what right is. Uh, a lot of times as insurance brokers, insurance advisors, business consultants, we lead our our clients down the pathway that is the best for their situation. It puts their clients in the in a much better place, their employees in a much better place, gives them access to healthcare in a way they've never had a chance to get it. But when you do that, because of the way the laws are, you still have to do it compliantly. You still have to make sure that these plans are put together in a way that they follow the different rules. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. We're talking about some of the things and the misconceptions that people believe about different uh, parts of this. But to do these, you can't ask someone like me because, man, I'm going to get it wrong. You got to bring in the expert. And that is where Jessica Waltman and the folks that are at, over at MZQ Consulting come in. Jessica, welcome aboard. Thank you, Harlan. It's so great to be on this show to talk about my favorite topic, which I realize is not everyone's favorite topic, but, you know, I'm a little weird, but that's why we'll have a fun conversation today. That's okay. I enjoy talking about health benefits. Who wants to do that, right? I mean, uh, we all have our missions and, you know, we're, we're blessed that our missions work together. They they really Mm -hmm. do. It's really a blessing to find someone uh, such as you that works with the folks like myself that are looking at it a different way. Because if you're just working with the same old, same old, if you're just working with a buka, you're just doing, you know, you're just going to use one of those. Typically, you don't run into a lot of these issues uh, because they're doing it for you, or at least they're leading you to believe that they are anyway. But that's that's a whole other story. Right? We, we have heard some stories. I know you have heard some horror stories of where you thought they thought someone thought that one of the bukas was doing something for them, but it actually they never were doing it. A lot of times, some of your bigger brokerages will handle that part. But there's also times when things just fall through the cracks. And that's where you guys come in. But so many times... There's so much confusion. And and why is there confusion? Well, let, let me go through just a few of the crazy things that we have to deal with over here on this side. And that is we love our acronyms. We love us some letters. We throw all kind of things at you. First of all, you got your ACA, you got your COBRA, you got your RXDCs, your HRA, your HSA, your FSA. You, you got your 1095s, you got your 1094s, you got your 1055s. Then we're going to wrap that all up. Or did you not use a wrap? Did you know you were supposed to have a wrap? How about an ERISA wrap? Did you have one of those? No, I don't know if I had one of those or not, right? And all of us seem to be put into a Section 125 because that is probably the area we need to be because we're all nuts and we need our own section, right? Well, there's whole stories that can be told over all of this insanity of these letters and numbers and no one can make any sense of it. Thank the Lord that we have (laughs) y'all. Well, you know, we try to make the complex simple and we're trying, we're just here to help you because if a broker has a um, 
you know, compliance advisor on hand that they can turn to and help their clients and direct them. And that's a way that we can just take it off your plate so you don't have to worry about it. Um, you know, we don't let you innovate your way out of compliance. The employer is protected, you're protected. And it's a great way for a broker to differentiate themselves too, because then they have a trusted source of help and not, you know, you just said, like there are stories of just brokers all the time and employers all the time. They think somebody was taking care of it for them. They, you know, they weren't, they set something up. They thought it was really cool. They found out it was actually illegal, you know, that type of stuff. So if you have that ability to say, no, we have a trusted resource expert on hand, you don't have to worry. The client doesn't have to worry. And then you can really differentiate yourself in the market. Absolutely. I think one of the more confusing things that happened recently, and a lot of confusion is that everyone thinks it changed a lot of things, and that is the the CAA or the Consolidated Appropriations Act. A lot of what was, and and I learned this directly from you guys, uh, from from Jen Berman, that a lot of what people are concerned about right now as far as some of the compliance issues have always been there. It's just all the CAA did was shine a light on certain sections of ERISA and said, hey, we're going to focus more on this and we're going to push compliance on this, we're, and we're going to come after you. So tell us mm-hmm. a little bit about that, so people have a better understanding. Because employers, most of them still, I haven't even heard about. It. Yeah, one of the, so the CAA is the longest law that Congress ever passed. It was one of those gigantic laws that they're very fond of doing now. This is like the biggest one. It was right at the end of 2020, so like height of COBRA, right after the you know presidential election was you know, so, you know it was December of 2020. So they passed this law, it has COVID stuff, it has funding the government stuff, it has foreign policy stuff, like Ukraine stuff, like had all kinds of things in it, right? But it also included a ton of things for employee benefit plans, sponsors, health insurers, uh, TPAs. And some of it was stuff that we had already started to look at, like plan transparency. Um, There are some new requirements, but then they also did shine a spotlight on some existing laws. So probably the biggest example of that is mental health parity. So we have had federal legislation requiring health plans in some form to maintain a balance between what they call medical surgical services and mental health and substance use disorder since 1999. They amended it in 2008, expanded it. The ACA expanded it further. Um, But it's been out there for a long time. But the thing was, people were only partially doing it. And there were a lot of parts of it that people just didn't understand. And they thought that they were okay, but they really weren't. And the CAA put a requirement in for every group health plan in America whether you're fully insured, self-funded, level funded, doesn't matter. You have to go through and analyze your plan and keep it up to date to see how it's complying with mental health parity, both in writing and then also in practice using de-identified claims data and other tests. So if you're fully insured, the carriers really have to do that and they're doing it kind of. And if you are a broker with fully insured groups, which everybody has some of those, you know, you just really want to go to the carrier and say, look, we want your analysis. We want the paperwork. So my employer has it on hand. They should be able to give you something. It may not be perfect. If your employer is audited, you can go to the carrier. They're going to flip out and they're going to help you. But if you're self-funded, it is your responsibility to get this done, especially if you stack up a lot of different vendors and you carve things out. You have to go to all of them, get the information from them and keep this analysis up to date. And we hear all the time from our clients, like, we will help you do this if that's something you want to engage in. We hear all the time from our clients, employers, and the brokers. They're like, what? We didn't know our plan was covering this. You know, we didn't know our autism benefits were that bad. My son is autistic. Like, I had no idea. How could we be offering this? Well, you know what? I mean, these things behind the scenes, no one really understands them. So shining a light on them, you know, it's been helpful. It's a lot of work. But again, that's why people like me that actually find this to be entertaining um do it and then 
you, you turn it over to us, we'll help you. And then, hey, if you ever want to need a sleep aid, then you just whip out one of our mental health parity reports and you will be out like a light. You know, we could put a, what's that one that makes you go like crazy online shopping? Um, whatever that drug is, we could put them out of business. You know, you don't need, you don't need melatonin. You don't need that other one. Just read our reports. It's fine. <laughs> but, but the federal government reads them. You know, who reads them and likes them? The Department of Labor. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to enjoy them, but you, you have to have them. So we will, we, you know, that's the type of thing we could do. Yeah. And you, you touched on one of the other parts of course is transparency. And that is very, it's used so widely now in our industry that people kind of lose track of what it even means anymore. And, and you know, I, I've, I've actually stopped using that word and have have been using more fully disclosed because mm-hmm. to me that really gets to the root of that that's me personally but it really gets to the root of what we're looking for not transparency but fully disclosed if you're fully disclosing everything uh how you're getting paid uh the where these different benefits and things are coming from all of these things being fully disclosed that's what I'm talking about in transparency because we're hearing the word transparency used by entities and by people that we know are not being transparent. Uh, they're letting you see something so that you, it looks like they're transparent, but what they're not doing is fully disclosing the information mm-hmm. that you wanted to begin with. And and I think that is one of the the common problems that employers are having that some of them don't even know that they've got that problem is they're not, they really don't even have the information to provide any reports that, you know, I'll, I'll throw my own uh, group underneath them. how brokers get paid. Brokers don't want you to know how they got, how they get paid. As a general rule, they don't want you to know, because if you knew all the different ways that, that they got paid, you'd be shocked. You're like, why am I paying you anything if all these other people are paying you? Right. Um, and so if you're not disclosing that, then that employer could get in trouble because it's their responsibility to know how you get paid, even though that doesn't seem like it's fair. That's the way it is. No, yeah, a lot of the requirements in the CA, especially, but just in the health plan world in general, fall under this law called ERISA, which is you know one of those letters. Sometimes people think it's a comet. I will <laughs> say my partner, Jen Berman, and I, she tried to name her dog ERISA, got rejected. I tried to name our elf on the shelf, Arissa, got direct, rejected. Um, but it is really the federal law overarching that governs health and welfare plans and retirement plans. And sometimes people think only self-funded groups have to deal with it, but everybody has to deal with Arissa. I mean, there's a very small church plans, certain state and local governments and like what is a church plan, but it's a very narrow spect- sector. Bare, almost everybody has to deal with Arissa. And Arissa is a law on employers. And so ultimately it all comes back down to an employer and that's how they can get you. And sometimes people say like, that is just so not fair. And the employer is not the one making the decisions. You know, they enter these contracts with these big players or even, you know, even if it's a little guy, I mean, like they don't necessarily, their PBM is their PBM. They can't, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but this is the way I always explain it is it's kind of like when you're trying to crack a drug, like a drug ring, and what they start doing is like they start with the little dealers on the street, right? And they get information from them and eventually they can crack the big kingpin. So what they do is this law, this is their way in. They've got a law and they can get at the employers. So the federal government, you know, Congress doesn't pass a lot of laws easily these days. And, you know, if they were going to pass a law and some of that would affect some of these big players, I mean, there's a lot of lobbying going on in Congress. So you would have to get at the drug companies. You have to get at the health plans. It would be very, very difficult. So they've kind of and this is all administrations doesn't really matter your politics. They've all done it. They basically said for the last you know, 23 years, you know what, we're going to we're going to skip really trying to get at the big guys this way. We already have this law from 1974 on the books that gives us into the employers. It gets us into the street dealers. We're going in that way and then we'll bust our way up. And, you know, the CAA really did kind of say, all right, we had been kind of letting some things go. And now we're going to go in through ERISA 
and we're going to bust some stuff up. So with the broker's disclosures, it's actually the employer's responsibility. And it's not just brokers, it's anybody that gets paid by the health plan. So, I mean, it's compliance consultants, like we're subject to it too. Um, you, you have to make it very clear how you're getting paid. And there are disclosure forms you have to do and you have to provide them to the employer. And depending on how calculated, you know, how complicated your pay structure is, you know, maybe something as simple as your proposal or your, you know, could can suffice. But right. other people know a lot of stuff has to be disclosed. And then the employer has to be the bad guy. If they don't get it, then they can actually get in trouble. Um, and then the federal government can say to the employer, where are your notices? Like, where did you, where are your disclosures? And then they can look and I mean, in this particular case, I think they're trying to look, I don't know exactly, but I think they just want to make sure the money trail is solid and that people aren't, you know, giving bad advice and the employer can see, like, are you getting paid by different conflicting sources? Do people have conflicts of interest? You know, they want to, they just want it to be more transparent. Um, the other thing is all that transparency out there. There are a lot of really smart computer people that can do a lot of things with mining that data. So which could, you know, eventually move the needle on costs in the market. I think, well, you know, disclosures in the, for brokers and things like that, I don't know if that's really where it is, but some of the other price transparency that's out there for hospitals, for, you know, insurers and TPAs, like what, what are the negotiated rates? That is really supposed to be out there because if everybody knows what everyone's being paid, then in theory, we'll be able to collect mine that data and use it for some really great tools um, that will help bend the cost curve. Yeah, and, and I think that is one of the issues that I I've, some of the employers I've talked to that they're very frustrated with is if they, how do I go about getting that information? Uh, it, it's It's become... I think some of them try to take it to the nth degree, and that can be a problem too, right? Whenever they're digging so so deep, it may be deeper than what they even they need to. But there's different ways, right? So you got the, the the one person who's real anal about it, and they feel like they've got to know every single thing and every little piece, and they're trying to dig out everything. And the hospital don't want to talk to them, or the, whoever they're trying to get this from says, "I don't, I'm, I don't have to give you that information." And and then you have the other ones is like, well. Uh, everyone just gave me some stuff. Okay, here's what we got. And they're just happy with it because they got something. It's somewhere in between that is where you need to be. It's somewhere where you've done your due diligence, but you haven't you, you haven't brought someone from your HR department and says, your job is to call every hospital that every one of our employees has ever done any business with and dig in to find out exactly how much they paid for every single service. You know, you, you don't have to get that far down the road but I think there are some that are trying to do that, which is kind of crazy, but you do hear it. Well, and you need to get something that actually works for people, right? Because, I mean, look at the earlier days of transparency. They kind of thought, okay, if we can tell consumers how much things cost and make them realize that, you know, there's maybe 10 places within 10 miles where you can get an MRI. And if they understand that they could, the, the price range, you know, the, the variation of price is, you know, several hundred percent from place to place to place, that they will go to the right place and they'll shop responsibly. And the thing is, we found out that no, consumers, especially when it comes to healthcare, they're very driven. If their doctor says, okay, you go here, if it's covered, they're like, okay, even with like a consumer directed plan, like they didn't all use their money wisely. They don't want to call around that, you know, they want to be led by a doctor. Also, they're probably in crisis. I mean, they have to go get an MRI or their kid needs an MRI. You know, they don't have time and they just want the best. They don't really understand an MRI is, you know, a machine read test. I mean, probably chat GPT is going to be able to do a better job reading them than, you know, the best radiologist like next week. I don't know, but they don't really understand that. And they'll go, you know, wherever they're directed and they're not price, you know, they're not price sensitive in the same way we thought that they would be. So that didn't work. And we gave a, all these people tools and they weren't like most of them, a few people would look them up, but most people just went where their doctor said or wherever was convenient or wherever had the first appointment and shopped like that. And even when you put their own money on the table, like, you know, through a consumer directed account, didn't really change behavior. 
So now same thing with employers, you know, with hospitals, with TPAs, like they all have this new data. And like you said, some people are going to be really, really anal and trying to read it. But what I think we're not that far out from getting is some tools, because now that all these, you know, the data that had to be disclosed first was what they call machine readable files. And there was not, I mean, some people, the hospital data had to come out first. And a lot of people were like, this isn't helpful. I don't understand it. X hospitals is not beautiful, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the thing. It wasn't supposed to be beautiful. It wasn't supposed to be something for your person in HR or for you and me to read. It was supposed to be out there so that people that know how to siphon this stuff all off the internet and process it all have an idea to make something usable. Well, now we have all of the, you know, negotiated rates and all of the plan data that's now out there. When you put those two things together, in theory, there could be some very exciting opportunities for us ahead. But I know, I don't know about you, but I know for me, it needs to be in a way that I can use it easily. I can see how it can go into my plan. I can see directly how I have to reduce costs. You know, maybe it's, you know, go, you know, like maybe we structure the plan, go here, go there. Maybe it just brings price down because everybody knows who is being paid. Being like five times an MRI is just forced to respond to market forces. I'm not really sure how it's going to work out, but I do know when you get this transparency and data in the market in a usable way, it does tend to bend the cost curve. And, you know, we our cost curves have nowhere to go. I mean, they're just going up and up and up. So any any little bend is going to be helpful. Yeah, you're exactly yeah, right. You're exactly right. It, it's very interesting that people have not shopped. They have not traditionally. It is an industry, like you said, that folks just say, okay, well, the doctor said go to here and I go to there and it costs this much and that's just the way it is. Now, part of that is our unfortunate learned of whatever insurance card we have, we treated it like an unlimited credit card. Uh, we knew our responsibility was whatever, our deductible. And as long as I go wherever they tell me to go, then once I meet that, then everything else is covered. Kind of like what you said. So I just might as well go somewhere. The unfortunate side of that is more and more people are delaying or completely not getting things done because deductibles have now got to such a level that they simply won't do it. I, I mean, I run into it all the time. And you used a great example on imaging because imaging is one of those places that's kind of the start, right? Your doctor said, I need you to go get this image so we can see what's going on. Well, if my deductible is $5,000 and you just told me to go get this image and I called and asked them how much it was going to be and they told me $2,700, well, I don't have $2,700. So the end of my healthcare journey is there. I'm done. I'm not going back to that doctor because I'm not going to get the image done because I can't afford $2,700. So I'm just going to hope for the best. Whatever's going on, whatever's been causing that pain then we're just going to hope that it does. If, if if it gets bad enough, I'll just go to the ER and I'll worry about it later. And right. that's the unfortunate fact of what we're seeing right now. Uh, because, and, and, th and this is a real case of somebody in Florida that I've talked to. And I introduced her to Green Imaging. I know you know those folks over there. I introduced mm -hmm. them. Go to this site. You've got, the, you, you've got the orders for it. If you go over here, they'll get you in. And you can have your... Your scan done. Uh, her scan cost her $400 instead of $2,700. She got the information. But it was so interesting, the conversation she had after that with me. She goes, hey, I got it done. It's $400. Thank you so much. Now, do you know how I'm going to get this to be applied to my deductible? <laughs> I said, you know, you just can't have it all, okay? I'm sorry. You you can try to turn it into the insurance company if you want to, but you, you got a cash price for it. You got something done that you weren't going to get done otherwise so that you can potentially move forward. And I understand your desire to have this, but you just got it for, you know, I just saved you $2,300. And mm -hmm. people do have to understand that there's a balance there, right? There's a balance of, of what you can, you can do and what you can have. And the employers need to understand because the negotiated rates in these networks are not always, the price you want to pay. So let me ask you a question, and, I, and I'm very curious what you're going to say about this. 
Because if the employer is now the fiduciary of the health plan, and they, they have been already, right? Just yeah. like they are. 1974. The, right. Oldest so me. Chris and I are the same age. Right. Everyone knew. 49. Right. Everyone knew it was 401k and all the other financial stuff, all of that. But now all of a sudden the light shine down on you to be fiduciary of the health plan. How can a health plan then justify if there are better options? How can you justify being in an HMO or a PPO with high negotiated rates when you have the option to go to level or self-funded and do direct contracting? So, I mean, the fiduciary, it's true. I mean, ask the the health plan for fiduciary. The group has a responsibility to review all of its vendors on a regular basis. No, I mean, really annually, no more than, you know, three years at the absolute outside. But you have to do a really thorough review and it's cost and it's also overall benefit to the plan, right? So you do have to look at all the things. And, you know, there are some groups that for whatever reason, maybe they just cannot, um, you know, it does take a lot of extra effort. They may not have the human capital. Uh, gosh, I don't know, in a small business, maybe they're doing something else or big growth mode or whatever. This is not the year to change our health plan to level funded. But you have to think about it and weigh all the pros and cons. And it is their responsibility to do it and document it and really go through an exhaustive process each year. And that's another thing where a broker can differentiate themselves because the, the, the employer's never going to do that by themselves. But if you go to a prospective client or a new client, and you're like, okay, not only are we going to review everything you have now, get you situated, but every year, we are going to do, you know, vendor scorecards. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at costs. We're going to, and not just cost. Cost is one factor. You know, what is the service? Are they giving you the data that they you need? D- did you like the benefits? Is there something else? Is this one offering something new that the other can't? What do your employees want? You know, do your employees really, would they really, really value something to move the deductible down? Or are they okay with that? Do they want to do, you know, something consumer directed? Maybe they like a high deductible. Maybe you want to put an HRA. I don't know. Every group is different. Every employer is different. Why does the employer want to do benefits? I mean, some of them are just like, well, because I have to, to stay competitive. Others are like, I want to improve everybody's health. I want to, you know, see why they want to do it. How risk adverse are they? What about the employee population? You know, I think not a lot of brokers are going there. And, you know, hey, there's some employers that are like, I don't want to deal with this. That's the end. Like, you're too many questions. Okay, fine. You're salespeople. You know, you can read the room. But there are also people out there that, and you can respond to those people and say, look, we got it. We got a good solution. We'll take care of it for you. That's the value you bring. But there's other people that want to investigate more, and you can bring really good solutions to them, too. And just making sure that they're aware that this is part of their job. And they will be familiar. They know that they have the responsibility because they did a much better um, job with this on the 401k side and the pension side, you know, the, the retirement side of the house. So they know that they're the fiduciaries of their retirement plan. So really probably shouldn't shock them that they're the fiduciaries of their health plan, but it might. Um, you know, you let them know and you let them know you're gonna how you're going to help them. Um, and, you know, that, that's just really important. And that's how you can also put in some really creative things should the person be willing. Yeah. And and I think that's an interesting outlook on it because you do, you run into employers that offer benefits for various different reasons. Uh, Typically if it's under 50, they're doing it strictly because being competitive, right? They don't have to, there's nobody that says Mm -hmm. they have to. I'm under a certain amount. There's no law requiring me to do it. I do it because I either care for my employees uh, which you do find that also. I care for my employees. I want them to have good benefits or else you see the, the the person out there that says, I can't be competitive in my industry unless I offer some type of benefits. What I think is interesting even in that is many times they won't go any further than that, my, that frame of mind. I've got to offer benefits to be competitive. That is absolutely not true. You've got to offer the right benefits to be competitive. You mm-hmm. just offering benefits ain't going to get it done. Just talking to a broker that says, yeah, I work with all the big guys. Uh, you know, you, you offer one of these and, you know, you've got that on your card that you're going to be competitive. That is absolutely not true because clients are getting more and more uh, understanding that it's, it's getting 
more and more difficult to find doctors that take some of these plans. Uh, and so having a big name on your card does not give you access to health care. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, I tell, tell you, just like I tell everyone else, and I've said it for years, health insurance, health care are not the same. And having health insurance does not guarantee you access to health care. And in many times, it makes it harder to get health care. Uh, just like I was talking about earlier with the lady who couldn't get an MRI or couldn't get a scan because of the cost. Once we took health insurance out of it and she went with a cash price, she got a much better deal. Now she had access to health care again. And one of the things you talked about when you were talking about how you helped her was you pointed her in the right direction. I mean, I think one of the things a lot of people in this day and age value, I mean, I know just as a, a mom and a consumer in, in my health plan, is that advocacy and that directional service. So, you know, sometimes, which can also be very good to directing you to things that are a lower cost and a higher quality, because especially if there's anything tricky, I don't know, like I, you know, I mean, I know that an MRI is the same pretty much anywhere you go, right? And that the difference in price is really based on the volume of the place. And that actually the more expensive place probably does so few of them, it's not, if somebody was gonna mess up the technology, it might be them. So. I know that, but that's just because it's my job. If I, you know, if this was about a different topic, I would have no idea. And you want to be led because, you know, another thing about that shopping thing is I really think that part of the reasons why people are not as price sensitive is when it comes to something health related, they're already kind of fragile. They're already nervous. They, they're already worried and they just want to get it. Like, you know, sometimes they overpay for things because they think they have to have it because they're going to die or they're, you know, they're going to make their child, you know. So like sometimes people, even some people, like you said, cut off the care because they can't afford it. Other people overpay or overgo, over overutilize because of scares, being scared. You know, so sometimes having somebody to guide you to the right place with high quality and also, you know, cost benefits is super, super helpful. And that's something that, you know, a lot of the big guys do not add to plans. And, you know, depending on how you do it, that could be a super, um, you know, more helpful thing if you're recruiting and say, look, you know, we offer benefits. And not only that, we have a care manager, you know, you call nurse so-and-so and she will tell you, you know, hey, if it's an emergency, you drive to the nearest CR. But if you think, you know, you might have this or your doctor tells you to go get an X test, call them. They'll explain it to you. They'll tell you where to go, you know, how you can get the best value and how you get it the highest quality. That is very appealing, I think, to to most people, especially in this day and age. We're so busy and, you know, people are, they don't know. We, we, they just want to do the right thing. They don't want to jeopardize their family's health. No, absolutely. Yeah. Right care, right place, right, like right price is is huge and I, you know it, it's interesting you talked about that one of the uh, a survey that i saw recently that still boggles my mind is they ask folks to get their insurance from their employer which as you know most people in this country actually get their insurance from their employer they asked them what was the biggest influence on their happiness with their health care and overwhelmingly the number one answer was who our insurance company is. My insurance, who I have for my insurance company is going to determine my happiness with my health care. Once again, our misconception that insurance and health care are the same thing, right? But of those people that answered that, 62% of them said that they could not even trust the health insurance company to help them find a doctor. Not a quality doctor, a doctor. That their frustration right. level of looking online and saying this doctor is in network, and then you call the doctor, and the doctor says, "No, I don't take that plan." <laughs> or you know, well, all of those different things. This facility, right. no, we don't take that. Uh, I just had a client yesterday with the exact same thing. They went to the facility to have the cataract surgery that the that the insurance company sent them to, and the morning of their surgery, the hospital calls them and says, "Oh, by the way, we don't take your plan." But if you want to pay $1,400, we can get you in, but there will be a separate bill for the anesthesiologist. The insurance company sent them there. I don't understand. I feel like that's the biggest one. There's two things that I never understand of over 20 years in this industry. 
One, why network directories and like why health insurers networks cannot identify and manage their doctors, why their provider contact information is often incorrect. I mean, how often do you change your phone number, your address? I mean, doctors don't move very often. Hospitals do not move. They're in the same place. Like, why are these things so hard to keep up with? And they always say, anyone that works for carrier, anyone that works for network, oh, it's so hard to keep up with the network. I'm like, I I don't know. I I mean, I don't do this, but I sort of feel like it's when I'm at like Chipotle and I'm watching the people behind the line and I feel like saying like, just move out of the way. I will come behind the counter and I will make everyone's burrito. You are doing it wrong. So network directories, I am sure they are doing it wrong. And then the cards, I don't understand why it is so hard to get cards and how many times in my life I've gotten my cards at the beginning of the plan. You're first of all, they can never come early. And then, you know, they're like three or four weeks in. So God forbid your kid has strep throat or something like that, right? At the beginning. And then they're often wrong. And I'm like, why? It's just a little card. I don't understand what is wrong with you people. So yeah, those two things, it is mind boggling, but um, you know, everyone makes mistakes, but that's, those are two. No, and it, it, it's and it's so frustrating, right? Because no, totally you told me that your insurance company is going to say, "Well, you have a good experience," but you can't even trust. I, I, that just cracks me up. The most basic thing of all that the insurance company should be able to do is tell you who is in their network. That is mm-hmm. truly the most basic thing, but they can't do that. And what, once again, they, they and they send you to the wrong place. I, I, I still, I, it just every time it happens. I still, just like you, shake your shake my head and say, how? How can you get this, something this fundamental wrong? And once again, not just doctors, but surgery centers. I, I no, mean, all of it. The whole thing. They're, they're always a mess. And they always complain. I mean, I've seen them before Congress complaining about it, And I'm always like, why? Why is this so hard? You know, you go online. Any store can tell you it's other location. Like, I don't understand. This is really not that hard. I don't know. And it's not even like these people, I mean, like, you know, we're Gen X. We know what a phone book is. <laughs> Most people don't. But I mean, like the, the people that there are still people there that know what the phone book is. Like they knew how to keep it out today. I don't understand. It's crazy. Well, well, and, you know, you, you mentioned that. what what it seems to me. It wasn't too long ago. I, I'm probably dating myself here a little bit. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we didn't have even online directories. They sent us a book, right? They sent book, us a right. book. That, and back then, if the doctor said in that book that you never got another one all year, if the doctor was listed there, that doctor was in the network. Right. You never had any of these problems. I, I don't know. It seems like <laughs> how, how that can be the case. I have no idea. But it, I don't remember ever finding a doctor in a printed book back in the day that wasn't in the network still whenever I wanted to use that doctor. I don't know. Maybe we should go back to old school. <laughs> uh, well, we digressed a little bit because I do want to yeah. get back on the compliance world a little bit. Yeah, here. definitely. So the next thing that, of course, we've been hearing about, and you guys did an outstanding webinar on this uh, the other day. I'm sure that that is actually, you can probably go out to your website and y'all, mm-hmm. somebody can see the webinar on the RXDC that you guys uh, had, right? If someone wants to know. Yes information about it, but touch on it a little bit, what it is, uh, why it's important to employers right now, uh, because I think this is a big deal. A lot of people are going to miss out on this. I have talked to a number of employees, employers here in the last uh, couple, two or three weeks. They have no idea what I was even talking about. Yeah, sure. So this is another one of these new requirements from the CAA, that big long law. And it's, um, it's kind of a transparency thing too, but it's disclosing the, do- the, go- the data to the federal government. And I mean, first of all, I just want to get up right up front. So no one sends me an angry email or something. I don't, the, the law says they're supposed to use the information to make an annual written report, you know, paper. So, or probably a PDF, but you know, a, a report. Um, that's what their, their stated purpose is. It's a lot of data they're collecting. I, I mean, sometimes people are suspicious or like, what are they going to do with this? I mean, I will say this, they, they are getting a lot of data. The other thing is a lot of people say to me, well, are they even going to know how to use this? Like what, what they, they're, they're asking for it in the wrong way. Like this is going to be unusable. I don't know. 
but it is what it is. It is spelled out in the law and at minimum, they're going to do a report, but it is designed to figure out where the, where the dollars are going in health plans. So like where the, the dollars go into the health plan and then how they go out, where are the costs. So it's both healthcare claims costs and then prescription drugs. And it stands for RxDC, which is prescription drug data collection. It is not all about prescription drug costs. They do kind of uh, the healthcare claims are equal part for whatever reason. They ask for the healthcare claims in one giant file. They split the prescription drug stuff into some kind of interesting list, like you know top. 50 most common drugs prescribed on your plan, top 50 most costly drugs, but other information too that they want to find out about where our dollars are going across the country in different markets, in different sized groups. It applies to all employer plans um, of all funding structures and sizes. It applies to the individual market. It applies to the federal employees health benefit plan. Um, anything that is group individual major medical insurance. It doesn't apply to Medicare. It doesn't apply to you know, accepted benefits, things like that. And they are asking for all this data collection to come into the federal government. Well, that CAA law, they actually asked for it to come in within one year. It was signed on December 27th and they said, we need it all by next December 27th. The Biden administration came in and they were like, what? We don't have a system to build this. This is kind of crazy. And how will employers know, do we even want the employers to know what the 50 most expensive drugs were on their plan? I mean, if it's a small employer, not even that large. I mean, wouldn't you be like, whoa, who's taking that? You know, what if the Alzheimer's drug was on there or something like that? You know, they were like, right. okay, we, we have to, we, this is maybe, it's a good, you know, it, it's the law. So we have to implement it because, you know, we're not going to get Congress to repeal anything transparency. Because I personally think transparency is like the kittens or puppies of the healthcare policy world. You know, no one wants to go anything against anything transparent. We're all in favor of transparency. So yeah, they came in, they're like, well, this thing isn't going away, but let's not, you know, give out information that might be dangerous to people. We don't want, you know, let's protect privacy. Let's also figure out how we're going to collect it. Let's build a computer system to take it in. We have to do some rules. So they delayed it a few times, but because the law was, it was very, very clear when it had to be turned in, they were kind of stuck. So they needed to collect data for 2020 and 2021, it's calendar year. So they collected that. They said it was due on December 27th. This is the federal government on December 23rd. They said, oh, we were just kidding. You can turn it in by January 31st. But <laughs> um, so anybody that, you know, wasn't ready yet, got a little Christmas present. But then, um, so that was the first two years. And then they said, okay, you guys all have the hang of it. Every year now for moving forward, it's going to be on June 1. We need to get this data. And for the first two years, they gave a lot of, relief and made it easier and they made parts optional and then they're like okay we've got the hang of it everybody for june one you have to do everything no delays you know no good faith compliance just get it done so there's a bunch of different files that have to go into the federal government they separated it out they did not make the employer collect everything together for themselves um they allow the the drug companies to send in the drug information, the PBMs to send in the P, you know, the drug information, the health plans or the TPAs to send in the healthcare claims files. So you don't necessarily know who had what service at what price, um, you know, to the, you know, to that. So it's, it's kind of amalgamated, but they also need to know what the employer paid into the plan and where the premium dollars are going and also who's being covered by the plan. And that is not something typically that any one of your vendors has complete information about. So the employer needed to provide this information, also identifying information about the plan. So there's this file, the D1 file, that includes all the money going into the plan and how it, how it all breaks down and who the people are, like what belly buttons, how they're covered, what have you. Um, and some TPAs in, in health insurance care said that they would do this for their clients. They're not required to, because remember, going back, this is an employer responsibility law, so they're not required to. So some of them said, well, we'll do it for you, because, of course, the federal government made the submission process. It's ridiculously hard. You have to get authenticated in, like, 20 different ways. I mean, it takes two weeks to go through the process. You have to give all this, like, the person in charge of it has to get approved. I mean, 
If you ever forgot your driver's license and tried to get through TSA, you can do that, by the way. Don't ask me how I know. But um, you you have to go through this like, crazy authentication process of yourself. It's like that process plus of your company, plus you have to give your computer systems like all up and up because it's just bananas. So it's not easy for an employer to just do it themselves. It's like they have to build in two weeks and a lot of work. Um, so the employer has to submit this information. So some of the health plans and TPA said they would do it, but you had to do it by X time frame. You had to answer these questions, what have you. A lot of people missed the deadline. Some TPAs and some carriers said they were not doing it at all. So then the employer needs to get that information in because their carriers and their TPAs and their PBMs are submitting the cost information of like what the money is being spent on, but it's like turning in a test and missing a section. So the federal government will know if the employer doesn't put the like, how much did we pay into this and how much did it cost us? Um, and that's a really key piece of information to know. And this is the first, you know, real year, even though we're on the year three of data collection, because we're now collecting 2022 data, they only have done this just over the past few months. Like the first round was due just January 31st of this year. This one's due June 1st. Um, so we don't exactly know. We're getting all this data in. You know, the the deadline June 1st is a hard deadline. Getting the, you know, the, the practicalities of it all, it's, it's tough. I mean, it's every employer in America is supposed to be doing it. I don't know exactly how they're going to force it. But if you go by the letter of the law, it is something where if you do not, as a group health plan, do what you're supposed to be doing and you're, you know, kind of violating ERISA, the penalty is up to $100 a day fine per affected beneficiary. So in theory, the fines for this could be very, very high. I mean, my guess is once they get the data in, it's going to be kind of like, um, if you're a large employer, you know, like ACA reporting for, you know, if you were supposed to offer coverage or not, it took a couple of years of them collecting data for them to start the enforcement process and like fully ramp it up. But eventually they did. I mean, it may be like the type of situation that you just, I don't know, didn't file your taxes five years ago. You might get caught next year, you know? So, I mean, it may be something that comes far out. But in my experience, the federal government always comes back and finds people, you know, so it is something that you really, you know, employers need to be looking into, see if it's been taken care of for them. If it was, they probably, I mean, they would have had to submit information about your premiums. So if you've submitted the information to your carrier or TPA about premiums and answered their questions, most of them are due in February or March, some are due April, um, but you know, probably like April 3rd was the latest deadline I saw. If you made that deadline, great, you know, verify it. You're going to want to get the confirmation number back when they submit it by June 1st so that you know that they did it on your behalf. If not, you really are going to need to make steps. Um, we don't know what happens if you violate. I would say for my experience in general with federal filing requirements, if you miss the June 1st deadline, don't just be like, oh, that's it. Like, I, I guess I'm done. File late. You know, find someone to file late for you. I mean, that's something MZQ can help you with. Like, you know, we, we were helping people, but don't don't let it file on June fifth. Don't wait till next year, um, because this is something that is new and it's going to be something every year. And I really, really hope by next year they'll have the submission process a lot easier. Right now, it's kind of a I don't know. I'm thinking of a not very nice word to describe it. It is a mess. It is a mess. <laughs> Well, there's so many things, there's so many things that employers are now required to keep up with. It it can be so overwhelming. And as a broker, I don't think there's even a way we can keep up with all of that to have any idea what all of that looks like. I mean, I think it's it's easy to know enough to be dangerous, and that's probably a good way to describe it. I mean, you don't, and you probably, I mean, you have other things to do. You are designing the plan. You are finding the innovative cost-cutting solutions. Um, you know, this is something that, I don't know. I mean, it's, I would even say, like, sometimes people think they can do it themselves, just like people think they can paint their own houses or wallpaper. You know what, it's, you know, you probably can paint. I don't know that if you want to wallpaper, put up trim, you do all these things. I mean, even though you might theorize that you can do it, 
is going to be so much easier. It's going to work so much better with a professional. And in this case, it's not like, oh, my flowers are crooked or, you know, there's a little drip on the ceiling. This is something where there could be huge fines involved. I mean, you don't want to do something that is against law. And the other reason why is a lot of these requirements, as silly as they seem, are put into place to protect the consumers and to protect the employer or to, you know, eventually bring down costs. Or like, There is always a point. They're not you know, the government created this to just torture you, even though sometimes it seems like it. I mean, there is some of that. I'm from the federal government. I'm here to help a part of this. I I, I know. But there usually is a consumer protection, employer protection purpose behind it. And if you don't do it, you're, you know, you're also losing out on those benefits. Now, it's it's very interesting. You said people can do it yourself. I, I was at an event last week. And whenever part of my, it, it was, I was talking to employers, employer groups, and I told them, you, you don't have to have a broker. You don't have to have a business consultant working on your health side. You can do it. The things we do to put together a plan, you can do it yourself. Can you do it effectively? Do you want to delve into something that you know nothing about? <laughs> And, and do all of it yourself? Or do you want to have an expert professional help you? I think that in most cases, they want to have an expert professional that they can trust anyway, help them with that. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have a job. Well, it's the same exact thing with you guys. Can you, do you have someone on your staff, is someone in HR that understands compliance, you can do all the reports and... Uh, do you want to have someone trained to do all of those things? Do you, are you going to give up someone's time to learn all of that and do it yourself? And what did you miss? And when will you find out that you missed something? <laughs> Not in a good way. <laughs> Let's get to more about MZQ. So we okay. kind of talked about a lot of stuff here today, but the solution for an employer, just like, it is finding a a trustworthy, fully disclosed broker, business advisor to help you navigate what kind of health plan to find for your employees. The compliance side of it is to find a trustworthy partner. Uh, and if your broker does not have one, then I know that you guys work with employers directly. But working with someone such as MZQ Consulting to help you make sure you're compliant. And I'm sure y'all will go through and do an audit also to make, to look at all the things uh, that they have to make sure that they're staying compliant. So tell me a little bit about the services that you guys provide. Uh, I know you work with brokers, but talk about that too, because I'm sure there's some brokers listening out there wondering how you could help them as well. Sure. So, I mean, from the broker side, you know, we, we work with brokers in a couple different ways. You, you can contract with the MZQ directly for broker consulting so that we can just help you. If you have any questions for you and your clients, you know, it's a monthly fee. You can ask us unlimited questions via email or call us and we will answer your compliance questions within 24 hours or at least, you know, attempt to sometimes if it's a really big pickle, we'll say, OK, we need a little more time to research that, blah, blah, blah. But we will get back to you and respond. That is a direct broker service. Everything else, we love to work through brokers for referrals. And our client, our products are really a la carte. But, you know, sometimes, you know, a broker and an employer might say, okay, we want everything. We want pieces. But we do a lot of different compliance services for for employers. And, that, you know, some of them aren't relevant. So that's why we do them broken up because not every employer needs every single thing. Right. So we started as an ACA reporting company for those large employer groups. We'll also, if you have penalty, you know, if you come to us and you say, I haven't filed it for you, I got a group, made it in file for producer, I, I messed something up, or I got a letter from the federal government, you know, we will take you then. You know, we never stop collecting data if you were late, if you, you know, and I would say for our employer reporting, if you want to DIY it, that is a DIY it. That is something that's readily out there in the marketplace now. Some employers, if it's very simple, like they would like to do it, they may have a less expensive solution. We are very, very good. If you are a mess or you need like handholding, you don't want to do a single single thing for yourself or employer reporting. We are your people because we are like the equivalent of the people that will take a, you know account that will take like a brown paper bag full of receipts. Like we do try to get your data 
We don't like it on written form, but pretty much if you can get it to us electronically, we will take your data, we will fix it, we'll handhold you, we'll do all the things for you, print your forms, get them out, check them, all the things. Um, on time, if, as long as you get to your, your data to us. Um, for this RxDC solution, we have a very simple thing. The employer does need to engage with that directly because they have to, you know, they can't, um, the broker can help and direct, but the employer actually has to do it and do the sign off. Um, and that is a very simple form, again, with great customer service account management as you go through the process. If you need any help along the way, you know, you just send up the white flag and someone is right there to call or email you. We have a lot of videos to walk you through it. That is you know, very time sensitive that is due by June 1 and to get your filing in, you know, right now we're, we're, we're asking for data by May 12th. If we, if we get it after May 12th, we may not be able to guarantee a June 1 submission, but we are, we're, we're actively taking, taking data from employers now. We also do your plan documents. Employers, all groups have to have what's called an ERISA plan document. And sometimes you think the booklet you get from a carrier or from a TPA is sufficient. It is not. There is a lot of things the employer has to do. And also, you may have other components to your plan. Many people do, besides just their major medical. You know, you offer a telemed, you have a disability policy. Like, these things all need to be consolidated together. And what, you know, Harlan said in the beginning, a wrap document. Um, it's kind of a, a, a document that wraps around all these other documents and fills in the legal holes and protects you. And it needs to be always up to date. So we have a product called Compass where we do those for groups of all sizes. You know, it's a little different for fully insured versus self-funded groups. Also, there's a lot of notices and things like that that group health plans need to hand out to employees at different times, different ways. So our Compass clients, they get all that notices. There's a portal. I mean, there's a lot of different kind of components that you can check off based on what you need. If you need your 5,500 filed, if your, your plan is big enough, that's the type of thing. If you have need to file your PCORI fee, which is self-funded plans, but also groups like, you know, an HRA needs to do a PCORI fee. Um, we can do your PCORI filing. We do this mental health parity analyses, um, both the NQTLs and QTLs, which have to do more with cost sharing. Um, you know, really kind of any kind of compliance service that an employer needs to make sure their medical plan, their health and welfare plan is operating um, as it should be we can take care of. And again, we work all the time directly through brokers that refer us, but we also take employers directly. Um, you know, our, our website is mzqconsulting.com. We also put out a lot of content, you know, newsletter, a blog, other things, just, in you know, video messages, just in case, you know, you can delete them if you don't want to read them. If you're like, this is the most boring thing in the world, Jessica, that's fine. I will, I will, I'll be, I'll be okay. But we put it out there just in case you need a little bit more information um, or want something to reference. We also do, you know, quarterly free webinars for, you know, people in the benefit industry, HR professionals, what have you about different topics. Like you referenced the one we just did on RxDC. So that's what we do. And our whole motto mission is we are here to help you make the complex simple, take it off your plate. Um, with expertise and good customer service. That's just really what we do. We just want to take that pain away from you and just handle it for you. Yeah, oh, another thing that I would say uh, out there, folks, if you are interested in keeping up with what's going on uh, compliance-wise, then follow MZQ on LinkedIn, too. Uh, I am out about a number of things that are going on just by following you guys on LinkedIn. All of a sudden, something popped up. I'm like, uh-oh, I, I didn't know about that. I, I missed that one or or whatever is going on. I know that uh, that Jen Berman spoke, speaks at different places, too. I think she was at Benefits Pro this week uh, speaking there. There's a yeah, lot going right there. on, and, yeah. and you guys are keeping up with it. And I can't tell you, uh, for, the, for the folks like me who I do the best I can to keep up with what's going on, but y'all live and breathe it every single day. And so having someone like you in, in, in my back pocket, knowing that nothing's going to slip through the cracks, that that's hugely important. Well, thank you. We have a blog too. Jen and I write a blog. We call it Friends with Health Benefits because we think it's funny. And so, <laughs> and we try and make that pretty funny. Like we, we were always like, you know, we, 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 we put it in there 
because it makes us laugh. Um, but it's, you know, we also trying to drive a little deeper there. So if you go on our website, you can subscribe to the blog too. And we usually put that up on LinkedIn as well. Um, but you know, there, there's definitely any time. And we always say too, in the friends with health benefits, we always say phone a friend if you need help. Um, so if you are in a pickle, you know, never hesitate to reach out. You can always, you know, email, call us. Um, you know, our general mailbox is engage at mzq.com, but you know, just look us up, look at the blog, look at us on LinkedIn, send us a message. We'll get back to you. And, um, you know, if you, if you're, if you're old enough to remember what phone a friend means, like that is really it. Like we are your compliance friends. So All right. reach out for help. Thank you so very much, Jessica, for being with us today. Uh, I learned a lot and I hope uh, the folks out there that are listening learned a lot too. Uh, I certainly hope that some folks will go out there and check out your blog, check out, uh, uh, follow you on LinkedIn. You have been a super interesting and entertaining guest. I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Harlan. It was such a pleasure to speak with you and to connect with all of your listeners. Um, and hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. All right. Great. Thank you again. Uh, and you guys uh, keep listening. We're going to talk to our next episode is going to be with Kelly Frisco. President right, of National Association of Benefits and Insurance Producers. So uh, y'all, y'all stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming up also. So thank you everyone for joining us today and we'll catch you next time.